Hello and welcome to the Litigation Podcast presented by Blackstone Chambers. Join our barristers as they discuss their expertise on trending topics and debates in the legal sector. If you want to be part of the discussion, subscribe below to receive our latest episodes. Welcome to the Blackstone Chambers Litigation Podcast with me, Tom Leary. Today I'm going to talk to you about some recent developments in the area of authorised push payment or APP fraud. APP fraud affects all areas of banking, investment and crypto. It occurs when the victim is tricked into authorising their bank to send funds or assets to a fraudster, for example by impersonating a person or company known to the victim. The prevalence of APP fraud is rapidly increasing year on year and in the UK alone, annual losses now exceed a billion pounds. Today we're going to look at how victims of APP fraud might be protected through claims against the victim's bank, claims against the fraudster's bank, and regulatory changes that are coming soon. So first, claims against the victim's bank, and in particular, the quince care duty. We now know, after Philip and Barclays Bank, that a claim against your own bank for breach of the quince care duty is at least potentially available to a victim of APP fraud. And the argument is that if your bank was on notice of the potential fraud and ought to have done more to protect you, it may have breached its implied contractual duty to exercise reasonable care and skill in executing your instructions to make the transfer. And no doubt everyone listening to this will be familiar with the Court of Appeals decision in Philip and Barclays Bank, but just in case you aren't familiar with it, the summary is that Mrs Philip was a music teacher and the victim of APP fraud. She was convinced by the fraudster to send £700,000 to bank accounts in the UAE. She arranged the transfers in person at a branch of Barclays Bank and she brought an action against Barclays for breaching its implied contractual duty to exercise reasonable care and skill in executing her instructions. She said that the bank, acting with reasonable care and skill, would have delayed the transfers and investigated the matter before releasing any of the funds to the fraudster. Barclays applied for summary judgment on the basis that the quince care duty was limited, it said, to circumstances where the payment instruction comes from an agent of the customer rather than from the customer herself. And the High Court accepted the bank's case, striking out the claim, but the Court of Appeal reversed that decision, finding that the quince care duty wasn't limited to cases where the bank is instructed by an agent of the customer, but that it was at least possible in principle for the duty to extend to cases where it's the customer giving the direct instruction, albeit as a victim of APP fraud. And the key question is the scope now of that quince care duty. What counts as notice of fraud? And what is an ordinary and prudent banker to do or expected to do in a given situation. We still have no firm answers to those questions, 
but Mrs Justice Cockrell gave some further guidance recently in Federal Republic of Nigeria and J.P. Morgan Chase. And that boils down to three points. First, she said, the Philip case doesn't establish that a duty of care does arise in the case of a customer instructing their bank to make a payment when that customer is a victim of APP fraud. But Philip does make clear that the duty may apply in those sorts of cases where the instruction comes from the customer rather than from an agent. Secondly, though, she said the quince care duty is and should be narrow and confined. It's not to be interpreted too broadly. Thirdly, unless the bank is on notice that the instruction in question may be vitiated by fraud, the duty doesn't arise and the focus needs to be on notice of the matter that has vitiated the instruction rather than different or potentially wider concerns about fraud. Now you may think that that's not terribly clear and I think you would probably be right about that assessment. We await further guidance from the court following a trial in an APP fraud case but meanwhile victims and banks will be arguing over what amounts to notice and what standard of care can be expected from an ordinary and prudent banker. Secondly, what about claims against the fraudster's bank? Maybe duty of care, maybe a restitutionary type claim. Well, that's another potential option for the victim of APP fraud. After all, the fraudster's bank allowed the fraudster to set up the account in the first place. They received the money. They could potentially have spotted the receipt of an unusually large sum of money. But the courts have not been terribly receptive to that idea. I acted for Metro Bank in striking out just this sort of claim by a victim of APP fraud. And in that case, the claimant mounted a novel two-pronged attack on the bank. First, she argued that the fraudster's bank owed a duty of care in tort to potential fraud victims to properly carry out anti-money laundering and identity checks for prospective customers. And secondly, to place a hold on unusually large sums of money being received by a fraudster's account. Secondly, she argued that Metro Bank had been unjustly enriched by the funds that had been paid into the bank account of the fraudster, unless and until the fraudster chose to claim the money in the accounts. Now, the judge struck out those claims because we argued firstly that banks do not generally owe duties of care to non-customers to guard against economic loss, even to prevent fraudulent payments out of a bank account. And cases like Customs and Excise Commissioners and Barclays Bank in the House of Lords tended to confirm that position, and the judge accepted that. On the unjust enrichment point, we said even if, which was debatable, the bank was enriched by the receipt of the money, it had an unanswerable defence of ministerial receipt or good faith change of position in circumstances where the money had been moved to another account before the bank had expressed notice of the fraud. Now, there may be grounds for revisiting those issues in the future, but for now, those sorts of claims look unlikely to succeed. And there are two recent cases 
that I wanted to draw your attention to on those sorts of points. First, in Technomont, Arabia Limited and NatWest, the High Court recently considered claims by a Saudi company for five million US dollars against NatWest, which was the recipient bank, after falling victim to an APP fraud. And there were two sorts of claims that the company tried. The first was a knowing receipt claim that the money was knowingly received by the bank in breach of trust. And that was pleaded by the company, but not actively pursued at trial. Nevertheless, the court commented on it and said there was nothing in that part of the claim because the money wasn't trust property at the time it had been received by NatWest, even though it had been procured by fraud. And secondly, NatWest had in any event received it for its customer and not for its own account, so it couldn't be guilty of knowing receipt. The claim for unjust enrichment was pursued at trial, but it was rejected by the judge on the basis that NatWest wasn't enriched by the transfer. It was the customer whose account the money was paid into that was enriched, and it would have been able to rely on a good faith change of position defence in any event because the money had been paid away. The second case is Royal Bank of Scotland Limited and JPSPC4. And this is important because it's a Privy Council case, albeit not specifically involving APP fraud. And what the Privy Council affirmed in that case was that a bank doesn't owe a duty of care in tort to the beneficial owner of monies held in the account of a customer where the beneficial owner has been defrauded by that customer. And so what the Privy Council affirmed was that banks do not generally owe duties of care in tort to protect non-customers against fraud. So whilst there may be room in some cases to pursue claims against a fraudster's bank, the courts do seem, unfortunately for APP fraud victims, to be closing the door firmly on that option as things stand. Third and final point, regulatory reform towards mandatory reimbursement. Regulatory change, it appears, is coming. The government has announced that it will enable the payment systems regulator to require banks to reimburse APP fraud losses. This was announced in the Queen's speech at the state opening of Parliament in May 2022, and the intention is to use the Financial Services and Markets Bill to amend the Payment Services Regulations 2017, allowing the PSR to use its regulatory powers to establish a liability framework for APP fraud using its existing powers. There is due to be a consultation on this shortly, so banks and no doubt other companies will want to have their say. And I wouldn't be too surprised if we start seeing some commercial judicial reviews and regulatory cases in this area before too long. I'm Tom Leary of Blackstone Chambers. Thank you for listening and see you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Litigation Podcast presented by Blackstone Chambers. Subscribe below to receive our latest episodes and visit blackstonechambers.com to learn more.